This is New Life Christian Fellowship's weekly message podcast. You can find us online at newlifepetaluma.org. And now, this week's message. That was awesome. Hey, good morning, everybody. Go ahead and grab a seat. Aren't our worship teams amazing? Man, I just love these guys. I love them. Hey, if you can't get enough of worship on October the 28th, it's going to be a Friday evening. We're going to have an evening of worship, and I'd love to invite you to come back to that. Uh, I did these town hall gatherings throughout the year, and one of the things that I heard from you over and over again was, we just want more time to gather together, and we love worship. Can we have more of that? So it's going to be a Friday evening, the 28th night of worship. Mark your calendars. You're going to absolutely, absolutely love it. And welcome to New Life. Whether you've been coming from the very beginning or it's your first time, I want to welcome you here. My name is Kevin. I'm one of the pastors here, and yes, I sprained my ankle. I'm not just wearing this as a prop for today. I sprained my sprained my, no, 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 no. I sprained my brain is what I did. I sprained my brain. So we'll see what happens today. Sprained my wrist. You know what's funny? The reason why I said ankle, my parents are visiting from Southern California for my daughter's birthday. And I said to my wife last night, honey, could you get me some ice for my wrist? Because we were both sitting on the sofa together. And my mom said to me, oh, did you sprain your ankle as well? That was her question. Which is why I just said ankle, because how many of you grown adults have had your parents in the house and it's like, they just called you out. Like my mom called me out. And uh, so I sprained my wrist and here's how I did it. Uh, It was a brutal soccer coaching accident. That's how I did this. have you ever had one of those moments, uh, if you're into your mid-30s or 40s now, one of those moments or, or uh, beyond, um, where you still think that you're 25? You ever had one of those moments and you think, well, I can do that. No problem. So there's the goal and the net had come off the top goal post. And I thought to myself, surely I can jump up like super fly, grab the goal post on the top. And while I'm hanging there by one arm, I'll just reach around, put the net around and somehow tape it. All in my mind, this worked and tape it with the other hand because clearly I can do that. Uh, and it went great until I jumped. Uh, I jumped, my hand did not stick. It came back, it popped uh, and it hurt badly, badly. So uh, that's this story. Uh, so if you want to give me a high five, we have to go left for now. Um, and I do apologize. I realized last service, I'm very pointy, but that's just because I can't bend my wrist. So if you feel like I'm a little pointy, I'm thinking like next career is something like this. So uh, anyway, it is what it is. Uh, and I just want to welcome you to New Life. I hope that this is a safe place for you. Boy, I love this community. I think, honestly, and I might be a little biased, I think this is the best place that you could come and have a safe place to experience life, experience God, where it's okay just to be right where you are, okay to not be okay, okay to be you in this journey. And so I'm so excited that you chose to be here with us today. You're going to want to grab a few things to kind of keep us all on the same team, on the same page. They're inside your program. Uh, The first is this Start Here card. I ask you each week to fill it out because it's good to fill it out. I'm not making this up. I'm your pastor. I wouldn't lie to you. So fill this out with your name, and if you're a guest, maybe your email address. It's just a connection card. It's nothing magical, but it helps you have access to our pastoral team. It helps us partner with you in any way that we can, and we would just love to partner with you. And we'll be using this a little bit later. So uh, I would just invite you, if you want to get more information about a ministry or you want to take some next steps coming out of this message, if we can pray for you in any way, that's all on here. So go ahead and grab that. The other thing you're going to want are our teaching notes. Uh, They've got the Bible verses we're looking at today. They've got some fill in the blanks. You're really going to want this because we're unpacking a really big idea 
today. And I think for a lot of us, it will be new information and something that you might want to like press into throughout the week. So you might want to grab your notes as well. And as you're doing that, uh, I don't know about you, but I love, I love Sonoma County. Like I love being part of this community uh, I, because I think that Sonoma County is some of the most loving, caring people I've ever met. Uh, I moved up here in 99, and I would say this about our church. I think New Life, you guys are some of the most loving, caring, compassionate, I see other people first sort of people I've ever met, but I don't think it's limited to us. I think Sonoma County has this dynamic of just caring for people. And specifically, one of the things I've noticed about Sonoma County is we love caring for people who are in areas of poverty, like material poverty in their lives. Like you and I, when we see people, we just care about them and we want to do something, whether it's locally, nationally, or internationally. And I love that that is the heartbeat of Sonoma County. And we're in this series right now called How to Neighbor. And it all stems from this question. A guy asked Jesus one day, what's the best way to get the most out of life? To have a life that's free from needless pain and regret. A life that gives you a story worth telling at the end of your days. Where you've got more story than you do regret about the things you wish you should have done, wish you could have done, wish you would have done. This guy asks Jesus this question and he says the best way to do it is to actually love your neighbor as yourself. And the crazy thing about it is that word love literally means to put their needs before your needs. Like even if it costs you something, to love someone in such a way that puts their needs before yours is the best way to live. And we all know it's best for other people, but Jesus says it's actually best for us as well. And so he tells a story and everyone's listening like, how could that be? And the guy says to him, well, who is my neighbor then? Because even in a room this size, there's maybe, I don't know, just under 200 of us in the room right now. Even in a room this size, could you imagine trying to put the needs of other people in front of yours? Like, that's a big task for 200 people. And this guy wants to know, how many people do I have to neighbor to get the most out of life? And in response to that, Jesus tells a story called the story of the Good Samaritan. And he talks about not only who to neighbor, but how to neighbor. And so we've been pressing into this story, the same story, and we're on week three, which I just want to clarify, we are going to look at the same passage again, because I had someone say to me two weeks ago, Pastor, uh, I think you're slipping a little bit. You accidentally taught us on the same passage of scripture two weeks in a row. And I said, no, I meant to do that because there's so much in this story about how to neighbor. And it's such a big idea that I want to press into it from different directions. And today what I want to look at is, is that thing that I love about Sonoma County, which is this. How do we care for people who are in cycles of poverty? Because the big idea is that caring for people living in poverty, it's actually really high on Jesus's neighboring agenda. He actually cares Jesus doesn't forget about people who have been forgotten. Jesus finds people who are lost. And so what we're doing is we're going to talk about how to care for people who are stuck in cycles of poverty. Jesus told a story one day, and he said this. He said, when I return to make all things right, I'm going to gather people into two groups, my followers on one side and those who chose not to walk with me on the other. To those on my, on my right, the ones who follow me, I'll say, well done. I was thirsty and you gave me water. I was hungry and you gave me food. I was in prison and you came and visited me. I was naked and you gave me clothes. And the people will say to him, when did we see you hungry or naked or in prison or alone and give you water and clothes and food and visit you? And Jesus says this in Matthew 25, truly I tell you, whenever you did this for one of the least of these brothers of mine, you did it for me. 
See, when we care about forgotten people, that heartbeat of Sonoma County, when we care about people who are left in the margins, who are forgotten, Jesus says, I never, I never forget. Which is why the Old Testament, the book of Proverbs, I think says it the best. In Proverbs 19, it says, whoever is kind to the poor, and that word kind literally means to give grace or unmerited favor to someone, to give to someone without expecting anything in return. The author says, whoever is kind to the poor actually lends to the Lord and he will reward them for what they've done. The author saying, when we give to the poor, God actually takes an account of it. And while the poor might not ever repay us for it, God will repay us for what we've done. Isn't that a crazy promise? I love that. And we love people in Sonoma County, but I wonder if you've ever had an experience like this because you and I see people on the street corner and our hearts go to them and we want to do something. But have you ever had an experience like this? I was 22 and I was driving, I think I was, I don't know, driving to work and uh, I saw a guy, a homeless guy with a sign that said, I need to get to Bodega and I need some money and this and that. And I just got this prompting, just stop, just stop. That's the best I had. So I just stopped, started talking to him. And he said to me, hey, I need a ride out. I think it was maybe it was the Russian River. I need a ride out to the Russian River because um, I'm camping out there. Can you give me a ride? And I said, yeah, I'm going to give you a ride. Now, I want to pause here and say, this is a descriptive story, not a prescriptive story. So I'm not saying you should give a ride to someone on the street corner. I'm saying I chose to do it in that moment when I was 22. And so I said, yeah, I'll give you a ride. And so I get him in the car, and he says, hey, could I have some money? Because I don't have the material supplies I need when I'm out there at the Russian River. And I said, yeah, I've got 20 bucks in my wallet. Here's 20 bucks. And I'm feeling pretty good. I'm helping this guy out. I'm giving him a ride. We stop at this grocery store, like a Quickie Mart type thing. And I'm in the car feeling pretty good because I'm actually doing something. And I look in my rearview mirror, and I watch this guy um, come out of the store, take a case of beer, and to stick it into his bag with the 20 bucks I'd given him. And I had two thoughts. My first thought was this. Fool me once, shame on you. Fool me twice, shame on me. I'm never doing this again. Have you ever had that experience? But my second thought was this. I don't want to be that guy who closes my heart to people because of an experience like that. I don't want to close my heart to people who God clearly cares about because I've had a bad experience. Have you ever experienced this tension? where you want to help, but you don't, want to ha- you don't know if helping is actually going to hurt the person. You don't know if giving money is actually the right thing to do. I would say that because we love people in Sonoma County, we genuinely get stuck in this tension all the time. And I want to actually talk about it today, which is why you're going to want your notes, because we're going to look at a third way, because Jesus is brilliant. Whenever there are two ways, either don't help or give some cash, Jesus almost always gives a third way, a better way to live. And I love here's, let me back up. Here's our question for the day. And then I want to jump in. Our question for the day is this. How can we best empower people who find themselves living in material poverty? How do we do it? Do we say, well, it's, it's your fault you're there. You better figure it out. Do we give 20 bucks? Do we not? Do we give a ride? Do we not? Do we invite every person we see into our house? How do we do this? And to answer that question, we have to actually define poverty. 
because our answer to what is poverty will actually affect the roads we go down to try to alleviate poverty. And if I was to ask most of us in this room, what is material poverty or or where does poverty come from or how would you define poverty? We would say this, poverty is when I don't have enough, when I have too much month left and no more money left, that's poverty. When I'm going into debt every month, that's poverty. When I can't buy what I need, that is poverty. It's all material resource-based. But there's a book that I read called When Helping Hurts. And by the way, if this topic intrigues you, that's a book you're going to want to read. It's called When Helping Hurts. It's on the back of your notes. And in this book, they asked 60,000 people in the majority world, and that's a phrase we've been using these last couple of weeks, the majority world is the majority of our world that lives on less than $2 a day. So they're known as the majority world. And they asked people who live in extreme poverty, define poverty. And here were the defining markers of poverty. This is from 60,000 interviews around the world. They said, poverty is a deep sense of shame. That's what poverty is. Poverty is feelings of worthlessness. Poverty is constantly feeling fear, constantly feeling humiliation, constantly feeling hopelessness. Poverty is being trapped. Here's the thing, poverty, according to people who live in extreme poverty, is not primarily a monetary issue. It's primarily a spiritual issue that has monetary outcomes. Because poverty, as we're going to talk about today, poverty is the result of brokenness. All poverty is the result of brokenness. Here at church, we talk about this a lot, that there's this thing in the world called sin, And a working definition that I've shared with with us is sin are those things that we think, that we say, and that we do that hurt us, that hurt the people we love the most, and that ultimately, if there is a perfect God, separates us from God. And I don't have to tell you what sin is. I don't stand up here and say, this is what sin is, because you know what it is, because you've laid in bed before at night, and you've thought to yourself, I can't believe I did that. Can't believe I said that. Can't believe I went there. Can't believe I looked at that. Can't believe I smoked that. Can't believe I drank that. Drinked that. I drink too much of that. That's what I can't believe. And we thought to ourselves, I'm never doing it again because we knew it was hurting us. We knew that it was hurting those we loved most. And we knew that if there was a God, and we might not have decided, but if there is a God, it's actually separating me from God. That's sin. Here's the problem with sin. We can't just, I was going to snap, we can't just fix it on our own because sin's in here and it's powerful, which is why a month later after you laid in bed that night and thought all those things, a month later, Or a year later, you were thinking it, saying it, doing it, smoking it, drinking it, looking at it again. And you thought to yourself, how do I keep doing this? It's because of sin. And here's the great news about God. God actually saw this sin problem that separated us from him that was killing us inside. And God did something about it. He left heaven and came to earth in Jesus Christ. He lived a perfect life. He died on a cross, gave his life on a cross to pay the penalty for that sin that was killing us. Then he rose from the dead, breaking the power of sin once and for all. And then he said, if you follow me, I'm going to fill you with my spirit. And my spirit is greater than that sin that keeps trapping you. And with God's spirit, we can actually overcome sin. But we all live in a world that's marred by sin, and we all have sin here. And all sin leads to brokenness. And poverty, financial poverty, is just one more example of sin causing brokenness. Does that make sense? It's not primarily just about money, which is why you can give someone $20 or $100 or $1,000. 
And if the brokenness has never been dealt with, it will not transform their lives. And it could be personal brokenness, sense of brokenness with self. I don't know who I am. I don't know why I'm here. I'm hurting myself. It could be relational brokenness. I don't know if you've ever talked to someone. We have folks who come into the church all the time who are living on the streets. And I'll ask them, do you have someone you can call, a friend, a parent, a sibling? And they say, no, none of my relationships. I have no more relationships because of relational brokenness. And it could be of their own doing. It could be of someone else's doing. But there's a relational brokenness that oftentimes leads to poverty. Or it could be a systemic brokenness, brokenness of systems. This is why we get cycles of poverty. This is why we can look at areas of the United States and say that is an area where poverty still exists and poverty still exists and it goes from generation to generation to generation. I remember my first year of marriage, uh, my wife and I took a mission trip with seven students to inner city Oakland. So it was my wife and I, seven students, and our chihuahua named Chloe in our first year of marriage in a two-bedroom apartment. Now, if that doesn't set your marriage up, well, I don't know what does. It's like, perfect. And we went there and we lived. And there was this little boy. He was about seven years old. And the director of the mission said, you can invite him into your house, but when you're gone, do not let him in. He'll rob you blind. And I looked at the director and said, how, how could this be? He's seven. My daughter is, is seven right now. Like, how could this be? And he said, well, let me tell you the backstory. This boy's mom, this boy doesn't know his dad. His dad is gone. This boy's mom is hooked on drugs, and she sells herself on the street every day to get money for drugs. So at 6 a.m., she locks her son out of the house, and he wanders the streets of Oakland until about 10 o'clock at night when she lets him back into the house at seven years old. Now, you cannot tell me that there's not a system or a cycle of poverty continuing in that community. You cannot say, well, he should just rise up because he and I had very different stories, right? I got every head start in my family. I'm sorry, I grew up in Glendora Berry, California. Like, front porch, sitting, sipping on cherry Coke. It was like everything I could ever have. My parents saying, you are good enough, you're loved, and gosh darn it, people like you. This was my story. His story, my mom is hooked on drugs, she's a prostitute, I don't know my dad, and I'm locked out of my house every day for 10 to 12 hours at 7 years old. So there are systems that lead to poverty as well. That's all I mean to say. You tracking with me? Now, with that as the backdrop, if poverty is not ultimately a money issue, it's ultimately a brokenness issue, then we want to look at Jesus' story because Jesus' story of the Good Samaritan actually talks to us about how to help empower people out of cycles of poverty in a way that helps more than it does hurts. And the backstory is this. If you're just catching up with us, Jesus is telling the story about how to neighbor. And he says, there was a man going down the road from Jerusalem to Jericho. It's a notoriously bad road. This man gets, gets grabbed by robbers. He gets beaten. He gets stripped of his clothes. He gets, he's like bloody and left for dead on the side of the road. That's where the story is going to pick up today. And verse 33 says this, but a Samaritan which we learned last week was just Jesus' way of saying, listen, God is not only at work in small groups. God is a global God who's at work in global communities. But a Samaritan, if you missed last week, go back and listen to him. But a Samaritan, as he traveled, he came to where the man was. And when he saw him, he took pity on him. That word pity literally means compassion. He had compassion for the man on the side of the road. And that compassion turned into empathy. That man walking down the road said, hey, If I would have been walking down the road a half hour earlier, I could have been this guy on the side of the road. He was moved from compassion to empathy to see that could have been me. By God's grace, it's not, but it could have been me. 
And then that empathy moves him to alleviate suffering. See, we need to recognize as Jesus followers, our own brokenness if we're going to empower other people. And this is our next slide. We need to recognize our own brokenness if we're going to empower others to experience freedom from the brokenness that causes poverty in their life. Because we all have some level of brokenness, don't we? It doesn't always lead to, to poverty. Our brokenness might lead to relationships that just keep ending badly over and over and over again. Our brokenness might lead us to shop too much, spend too much, work too much. Our brokenness might lead us to a million different addictive patterns, but we all have some level of brokenness. And if we understand our brokenness, then we can begin to have empathy for someone else when they have brokenness. Because their brokenness might lead them to living on the street, and our brokenness might lead us to working too many hours and not watching our kids raise up. But it's all brokenness. And the Samaritan saw him and he had compassion for him. And he recognized his own brokenness in the process, which drew him to this man. I love the way that Dr. Brene Brown says it. She says this, we've divided the world into those who need help and those who offer help. And the truth is, we are both. We divide the world into those who need help and those who offer it, but at times we're both those who need help and those who offer help. And here's why that's so important for us as we talk about poverty alleviation, because it keeps us from looking down our noses at people on the street. Because I don't know about you, but my internal um, pendulum swings from I should do something to help you to you should do something to help you. And there's very little in between. My compassion is high here, but I don't know what to do. My compassion is almost non-existent here. And I think, well, it's your own fault. Am I the only one? All right. So what do we do? That's the question. Well, I love what happens in verse 34. Check this out. It says, the Samaritan went with him and he bandaged his, bandaged his wounds and he poured oil and wine on the man, which was an ancient form of antiseptic. He was trying to disinfect the wounds. Then he put him on his donkey and he brought him to an inn so that the innkeeper could take care of him. The next day, he took out two days' wages, gave them to the innkeeper, and said, look after him. And then notice what he says next. When I return, which means he has a plan to come back. It's not a one-time handout. He's coming back. When I return, I will reimburse you for any extra expenses that you have. And this is why this is so important. We need to understand the difference between relief and restoration. Relief is immediate and temporary assistance to meet an unforeseen crisis. This man actually needed relief. He's walking down a road. He gets beat down on the side of the road, left for dead. He needs immediate assistance. The victims of the fires a week and a half ago over by the freeway, they go to work one day, they come home and their houses are burnt down. They needed relief. That was a, a temporary assistance for an unforeseen crisis. They needed relief, someone to come. And I love, by the way, that New Life answered that call. You should have seen, I wish you could be a mouse in my pocket and hear all the stories I heard about new lifers running to the scene, caring for people, bringing needs. I love that about new life. The hurricane that's happening on the East Coast right now will need relief, temporary assistance for an unforeseen crisis. This in a very small way, a very small way, was an unforeseen crisis where I need relief. I need relief. Like I needed my mommy to unscrew my coffee cup this morning. I needed relief. It's true. That's a true story. I needed my dad to dig a hole for my kids at the beach yesterday because I can't do it right now because of an unforeseen crisis, coaching injury. I needed relief. 
But there's a difference between relief and the next thing, which is restoration. Verse 35 says that the next day, the next day he took out two denarii, gave it to the innkeeper and said, when I return, when I return to this relationship, when I return to this man, I will pay you whatever he needs. And while relief is temporary, restoration, restoration happens in the context of long-term relationships so that individuals can deal with their brokenness and restore their God-given sense of worthiness. That's restoration. The Samaritan gave money and promised to come back to rebuild a relationship, to restore the person. And people who are stuck in systems of poverty, cycles of poverty, when you see the same guy on the street corner or the same gal or the same family, that's not an unforeseen crisis. That is actually a longer-lasting brokenness that needs to be healed, which is why giving $20 to the guy didn't do anything for him. And listen, listen, I'm not against the fact that the guy wouldn't buy beer with my 20 bucks. I didn't give him 20 bucks and say, no, you better buy good food. I gave him 20 bucks. Truth is, if you said, hey, Kevin, can we go out to lunch? And you said, I don't have any money. I would buy you lunch too. Now, don't all sign up this week (laughs) because I have to budget for it. But I would. And I wouldn't be like, well, how many carbs are in that lunch? I wouldn't do that. But the truth is, my 20 bucks didn't help the guy. It didn't help the guy in any lasting way, right? And don't we as Jesus followers want to go beyond relief to restoration? Isn't that our call? To help people restore to their God-given potential? But the truth is, and I just want to be, I want to be honest here. Very few of us in this room, maybe 1%, maybe, because of our jobs, because of what we do, very few of us in this room can actually engage in any meaningful way in the restoration of someone who is poor. Very few of us. We don't have the time to do it. We don't have the expertise to do it. We can't dig into the brokenness in that person's life and help them find healing when they're stuck in cycles of poverty. Very few of us can actually do something about that person on the street corner by ourselves. But here's the great gift of the church. God calls this unique gathering of people together for us to unify in our vision around God, unify in our love for people. And then he invites us to pour our resources together and invest in organizations that can restore. So while I can't do it on my own and you can't do it on your own and none of us can do it on our own together, we can actually do something to help people restore which is why I love the fact that we're doing this global outreach experiment to partner with our global outreach partners because our global outreach partners are in the process of restoration. When I think about organizations like the Redwood Gospel Mission, the Redwood Gospel Mission is doing more for women and men stuck in areas of poverty than we ever could individually. When I think about our India partnerships, our India partnerships have schools that are training kids to help them learn English and job skills to get them out of cycles of poverty. Our India partnerships have an orphanage that is taking children who have been forgotten and beaten and abused by their parents and raising them up and helping them deal with the brokenness and helping them succeed in life. When I think about our Mexico partnerships with house building and with the orphanage and our Lakota partnerships at the reservation with the work that they're doing, we partner with organizations that restore people to their God-given potential. And that's why I'm saying, listen, it might feel good in a moment to give someone five bucks on the street corner, 
but it will do more to invest that same $5 into an organization that's restoring people. If we really believe that poverty comes from brokenness and we have to deal with the brokenness in order to help people find freedom. And this is a journey I've been on for the last, I don't know, 14 years trying to talk about this. And it crystallized for me when my seven-year-old daughter said, hey, dad, why don't you just give $5 to the person who has the sign asking for money? I I know you love people. Why aren't you giving him any money? Or it's the worst when someone's out there with a child. You know, my kids are going by thinking I'm in a car. They're sitting there and they ask me these questions. And I I had to really think, how do you you explain this to a seven-year-old? I said, well, the truth is, honey, that $5 won't actually transform their lives. But if I give that same money, which I do to things like Redwood Gospel Mission or COTS, it could actually be used to transform someone's life. This is where God invites us to think critically and think deeply about these big issues in the world. And I love it. And here's what I love about our global outreach partners, by the way. They are leading people in restoration. They're doing it by introducing people to Jesus so that Jesus can bring the healing that people need. There's this great part where Jesus is early in his ministry and he goes to church. Believe it or not, Jesus went to church every week. It says he went to the synagogue as was his custom. Every week, you know where to find Jesus on the day where everyone worships? Jesus was in church, which is why his football team always won. I'm just, I'm just kidding. I pray and pray and the Bears finally won. They finally won. Praise the Lord. Um, even a broken clock is right twice a day. You know what I'm talking about? So... So Jesus, yeah, that's good. Jesus walks into church, but it was different than our church. They didn't have the scriptures up on the screens. They didn't have a Bible. They didn't even have their phones with them. He walks in and there are these scrolls. And the custom was you would unroll a scroll, you would read from the scroll, and then the rabbis would talk about what that scroll meant. And that was a church service. And so Jesus unrolls this scroll and he goes to to, um, Isaiah and it says this. He says, the spirit of the Lord is upon me. Because God has anointed me to proclaim, get this, good news for the poor. He sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners, recovery of sight to the blind, and to set the oppressed free, and to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Then Jesus rolled up the scroll, gave it back to the attendant, sat down. The eyes of everybody was fixed on him, thinking, what's he going to say now? And Jesus said, the scripture is fulfilled in your hearing it. And here's what he was saying. This scripture is all about me. Now, Jesus hadn't hadn't given sight to every blind person, hadn't freed every oppressed person, had not healed every poor person. What was Jesus saying? Jesus was saying that in me is the freedom from brokenness that every person needs. In me is freedom. And if you've been around new life and if you've experienced God, like actually having a relationship with God where God becomes more than this distant deity, but he becomes a personal, loving, heavenly father, haven't you experienced that freedom? Haven't you experienced that healing? That's the kind of healing Jesus wants. And what I love about our global partners is they do not shy away from the fact that Jesus brings the healing that every person needs if they want long-term restoration. The second thing I love about our global partners is they're forming long-lasting relationships with hurting communities. There was a missions movement about 100 years ago where missionaries from the West um, went out around the world and they tried to help people encounter God. But what they really did was they tried to help people become like Western Christians. 
So it didn't matter what your culture was, what your language was, what your, um, what your traditions and rituals were. They tried to say, that's all bad. Become a North American or a European Christian. And there was this big pushback because indigenous people just got like taken advantage of. It was horrible. But our ministry partners don't have that model. Our ministry partners are mostly national people working in national areas. Our ministry partners are empowering nationals. And our ministry partners ask more questions than they do give answers. They say, what do you need right now? How's God currently working in your life? And that only happens through long-lasting relationships. And I love our global partners because they are asking questions, forming relationships, and helping bringing people out of poverty. And the third thing they're doing is they're providing training that empowers individuals to rise up. Rebel Gospel Mission in Santa Rosa is a great example of this. They're giving housing, and we get to be a temporary housing shelter for them this winter because of the generosity of this church. They're giving housing, but they're giving job skills. They're dealing with areas of brokenness. They're introducing people to Jesus so they can rise up. My, uh, my son Landon's in kindergarten, and his kindergarten teacher and I are close personal friends, which is why I think it's okay that I've already had three parent-teacher conferences in the last month and a half of school. Um, it's true. She's here. She can fact check it. Um, but she called me, and we were having this great conversation, and she said, Kevin, you do too much for Landon. You do too much for him. He's the youngest one. His sister's always trying to help. You're always trying to help. You need to let him do stuff for himself. Because right now, he doesn't think he can do anything. He's stuck. So she said, do you dry him off after he showers? I said, yeah. She said, let him dry himself off. Do you do, you do his dishes when he's done with breakfast? Well, of course I do. Let him wash his own dishes. I was like, this is great. What else should he do for himself? <laughs> like, should he drive himself to school? What else can we like, let's do this. So we, it's true. So we got this whole list of the teachers over here. She's like, yeah. We got this whole list Wouldn't you know it? Wouldn't you know it? Landon has come alive because he's believed in and he's empowered to actually raise up. He's got a spark in his eye. He's thinking about things now. He's not expecting everyone to do everything for him. He's doing it himself. Did you know that when people are stuck in cycles of poverty, they feel hopeless, they feel trapped, they feel like they cannot do anything for themselves. And our ministry partners, our global outreach partners, are empowering people to rise up and take hold of their own lives so that they can experience the freedom that my son is experiencing. It's so good. It's so good. And listen, like I've said, no one of us can actually fix this, but together we can be a community that does something that makes an impact, which is why I love this How to Neighbor Challenge that we're starting tomorrow. I love it. And if you're brand new, uh, let me give you a quick recap. Out in the lobby, there are these How to Neighbor experiments. Um, This How to Neighbor experiment goes something like this. The majority of the world has very little opportunity to various types of foods. The majority of the world lives off very little different varieties of foods. So I thought, what if we as a church, as an experiment, limited our food selection to only beans and rice-based meals for one week? For one week. So that we could see what it looks like to live like the majority of the world. And some of you are thinking the same thing I did. Listen, I... I came up with this idea. I have major entitlement issues around food. I'll just be honest about it. Like, when it's a Friday night, I want something good, like really good. If it's something not good, I'm like, oh, yay, thank you for making that food for me. And I try to hide my disappointment. Like, I have entitlement issues around food. I'm working it out. The idea of eating beans and rice-based meals, luckily, uh, I love Mexican food. But still, still, beans and rice-based meals for a week, breakfast, lunch, and dinner, it's tapping into that entitlement for me. 
I want to press into that with God. Say, God, I live in North America. I could eat anything I want. I'm choosing to limit myself so that I can identify with the majority world just for a week. Now, let's just pause here. What other organization ever invites you to do something like this? Right? We're adults. We are grown adults. Whoever says to grown adults, what if we just experimented with something for a week and tried it out? I love the church. The church is the place where we just try stuff together and see what God might do. So we've got this beans and rice. We've got menus in the back where you could put together beans and rice meals, breakfast, lunch, and dinner. And then in the front, we've got a daily devotional for breakfast, lunch, and dinner. So as we're eating these beans and rice-based meals, we're doing this daily devotional and we're engaging with God personally as families, as life groups on behalf of the world. And we're praying for the world. I love that. And then what I'm asking us to do is I'm asking us during that week of prayer, to take whatever extra money we have for our, our paring down of our food, and then just pray and say to God, God, is there any extra money you'd like me to give to fund our global outreach initiatives for 2017? Because I believe God's inviting us as a community to fund our global outreach initiatives. And what I told you last week, and if you missed it, you want to go listen, to fund everything that we believe God's inviting us to do in 2017 in India, in Mexico, with college students, with InterVarsity Christian Fellowship, with Redwood Gospel Mission, with a Lakota ministry, to fund everything is going to be about $18,000. Now, before you say anything, someone just broke that down for me. That's 100 of us giving $180. There's like 600 of us at church today. That's 100 of us giving $180. That's, if I do the math right... 180 of us giving $100? Is that right? That's common core right there. I nailed that. This is doable. This is, that's all I mean to say is this is doable. But whatever comes in in that offering, and next week we're going to take a special offering, whatever comes in in that offering is what we're going to allocate for our global outreach partners for 2017. So if $15,000 comes in, we're going to ask God to use that $15,000 in the right spots. If $12,000 comes in, we're going to ask him to use that $12,000. If twenty thousand dollars comes in, we're going to ask him to allocate that twenty thousand dollars. Because I believe that what God's trying to do, he doesn't want to disconnect from our community, that God actually wants to do something in us, even as he does something through us in the rest of the world. Does that make sense? So this week, I'm just inviting you, even if, even if you're not going to do the beans and rice thing, or maybe you're going to do it for a day, or for dietary reasons you can't, I want to invite you, grab one of these devotionals. Do the devotional with us all week. Ask God for your part. Just ask him. He might say, no, I don't want you to give anything right now. He might say, yeah, $100, $200, $1,000. I don't know what God's going to do, honestly. But what if you just asked him this week and just saw, saw what God did? So grab one on the way out. Experiment with me. Experiment with us. Let's see what God's going to do. Let's have those conversations. By the way, I'm personally doing it with my kids. They're in kindergarten and third grade. And, and this afternoon, we're going to have a conversation like, hey, guys, what's this going to look like? for us as a family. My daughter's birthday is tomorrow. So we've actually decided as a family, we're actually going to take her to In-N-Out for her birthday and celebrate that because this isn't a legalistic like rule. You have to do this, but we're going to try for the night. We're going to do that, you know? Uh, maybe I'll go protein style or something. I don't know. To try to... But what's... Oh. No. But honestly, honestly, I'd rather have that conversation with my kids and say we have freedom in Christ to do this thing on Maddie's birthday to celebrate her than not do it at all. And some of us would say, if I can't do every day, I'm not going to do any day. I would say better to do whatever God's inviting me to do. 
and then to ask God to move. So on these Start Here cards, I'm going to wrap our time up now because I could just honestly keep on talking until next week. I probably could. On our Start Here cards on the back, I'm giving us three ways to take some steps. If you're not taking this beans and rice challenge, that's our shorthand of what we're calling this. If you're not taking that yet or you haven't decided to take it, but now you're saying, yeah, I want to do that, even if you're just going to be praying with me throughout the week, would you mark down, I'm taking the beans and rice challenge? Mark it down on your card. Here's why. Every day starting tomorrow, I'm going to send you a profile of our global outreach partners in some area so you can hear stories, so you can get to know names, so you can pray intentionally for Redwood Gospel Mission, for InterVarsity, for our India ministry, for our Mexico ministry. I want you to have that every day to pray. The second thing is this. I want to have you ask God for your next step in giving to our global partners. Again, this isn't our regular offering. Our regular offering supports the church. This is a special offering to support our global partners. Ask God for your part. If you're going to do that, mark it down so I can know who's asking God with me. And then the third one is that book, When Helping Hurts. If this triggered something in you, grab that book. It'd be a really good book to read if you want to look more at poverty and how to break through cycles of poverty. I think you'd really enjoy that book. Well, I'm going to pray, uh, and then I'm going to do some announcements, and then our team will come down and pass baskets in just a second. So would you join me? I want to pray for this coming week and this experiment with us. Lord, we're looking and we're asking for a third way when it comes to partnering with people who are materially poor. We're asking for fresh perspectives on our own brokenness so that we can empathize with others in their brokenness. And we're asking that you would do something through us that you can't actually do uh, through, through government or anyone else, that you would use us to help people experience the transformation that comes from you. I really do, God, I believe that your local church, when you gather us together in unity and in vision, that we really are the hope of the world. Because this is the place where people can encounter you. And God, we believe that when we encounter you, freedom is found. So I pray for individuals. I pray for, um, for roommates. I pray for spouses. I pray for houses. I pray for families as they go on this uh, how-to-neighbor experiment, as they try this beans and rice challenge, as we pray together about our part in funding these projects. I'm asking, God, that you would first and foremost do something in us in the journey. And then as you do work in us, that you would do something through us that is great, that's more powerful than any one of us could ever do on our own. God, would you do a great thing. And then as we gather back together next week to worship and to share uh, and to give our offering, God, would you blow our minds with your generosity and your movement. We pray in your name. Amen. Amen. We hope you enjoyed this week's message. You can find more information about New Life, including contact information at newlifepetaluma.org. Thanks for listening.